Good evening, everyone. I'm Zach the DM, and welcome to Dungeon Master Discussions, the show where I interview a vast variety of different Dungeon Masters, pick their brain to see how they run D&D at their table. And today, I'm joined by the wonderful guest, Omar KUK. Welcome, Omar. Hello. Roll for charisma. Uh, yes, please. Can you give me a performance check? Um, uh... And as well, not good. introduce yourself for anyone that may not know you. So, I am Omar. I'm from the UK. Uh, relatively long D&D player. Recently converted to Dungeon Master, because I just couldn't find the games I was after. Currently doing a bit of a Twitch session on based on Terry Pratchett's Discworld. High on sarcasm, low on rules. Hey, our favorite kind of DMs over here. Well, it's very nice to see. Today, we're going to be talking about leading the players, kind of talking about the the hooks in D&D. Everyone thinks that they have complete control over their player, that they have full player agency, but how much is it really the DM leading you everywhere? How much is it really you following the, the little breadcrumbs that are left around? Uh, today, we're going to find out. Uh, Omar, do you find yourself... How often do you find yourself looking into how you're going to hook your players into your story or like your session the game that i'm running at the moment uh this was written for my stepdaughter when i first started playing fifth edition again about five years ago she came around i was sitting in the garden and said oh you're playing that nerdy thing that you see on the big bang theory so okay yeah yeah just take the mick but you're walking in some you're walking in the woods you hear a rustling behind you what do you do Ten seconds later, she was absolutely hooked. Oh, that's all it took. Mm-hmm. Um, and with her, the game started as almost a morality tale. I gave her options, and I gave her well, you, you could do this, but this could happen. Mm-hmm. If you do do this, there are going to be consequences. It's up to you to balance that, and. That's one of the tricks that I've always used to make things, um, to kind of hook the players into the story, is not just make it about them. Make it about what they've done and what their actions have done to the world around them. Okay. As well as you've got the intricate world building, you've got the character play, you've got the usual stuff. But rather than, frankly, a bunch of murder hobos, make those murder hobos face the consequences for their actions. Um, like having the city watch turn up mid- midway through murder. Yeah. Okay, so morality is definitely a good way to get people into the game because everyone kind of has that sense of right or wrong. And like you say, if they decide to have a complete wrong set of uh, decision-making, then they, we can give them consequences. Absolutely. Uh, chaotic evil just do not get on in my game. Uh, the game is too it's too funny and, and sarcastic for them to even think within that box. Uh, but if you make it... Um, <clears throat> that's where I'm looking. If it's compelling enough from a moral point of view, mm. and it's your own morals that are being tested, because every first-timer, they're playing themselves. They, they don't know how to character act yet. Yeah. And if they're playing themselves and you're giving them moral decisions that they would have to make in real life, it's making them think about their actions rather than just going in sword swinging. 
I like that. You're kind of pulling in uh, not only morality, but like the situations that the players themselves are going to have to deal with or would have to deal with in their situations. Kind of making it personal as well. Uh, one of the things I used in my game was the, the game started the very first episode. The first event happened was an escaped prisoner turns up at the tavern. Yeah. He's all bedraggled, his clothes are all ripped and torn, he's holding an iron key. Cliche, I know. Most players immediately rush to his aid and they, they want to find out what's going on. One yeah. player, um, who has a bit of a dark mind, <laughs> thought, maybe he was an, thought maybe he was an escaped prisoner and alerted the City Watch. So, yeah, okay, thinking outside the box. I love that, and I just rolled with it. All brought it round to where I needed it to be because eventually the City Watch explain what's going on rather than the character explaining what's going on. Yeah. Um, but that illusion of choice, that illusion of what do you want to do, which can be overwhelming for all new players, just steer it round. Um, I'll bring it back onto the story, whether it's the original character who's giving out the plot or a city watchman that turns up and says, oh, well, you know, I did hear about this happening over in the town. Or maybe it's just the bar wench that's, uh, oh, yes, 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 we hear about that all the time. <clears throat> it's not necessarily the character I plan to deliver the story, but ultimately if they get back to the point where I want them to be, that's where I, where I need them to be. That makes sense. And that's a, that's a good way to kind of make it less stressful is if you it sounds like you kind of have plot points and you're trying to kind of more meet those plot points than worry about the details in between am i correct in that yeah it's it's kind of like chaos maths you've got an event there's infinite possibilities but if you can if you're good enough at improv you can take all those infinite possibilities and zero back in to that point that you need Mm. and the players still have the illusion of free will they believe that they've gone the rate that they chose best, but they've still ended up where I wanted them to end up, and they're still lawfully good, mostly, because of it. <laughs> um, one of the tricks that I've used, um, my background is actually um, uh, IT training. So if you've ever had a really bad class where you're learning a piece of software, you probably had a bad trainer. Yeah. And... One of the tricks that we use in neuro-linguistic programming, uh, my background is an interest in cognitive psychology. Uh, Neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, is often a bit of a buzzword for sales techniques. You say certain things during the sales process, you get the customer to buy in, and you close the sale nice and easy. Let me loose in an electronic store, and I'll just walk away with their target for the day. But the trick is, is that give him just little hints. They don't have to be full on breadcrumbs. They can just be a hint of a an idea that you plant in a player or in my case, a delegate's mind and you feed it over time. And eventually the trick being is that eventually they'll get to the end of whatever you're doing, whether it's a class training or a D&D session. And that player will believe that they've come up with that thought on their own. and if it was the classroom, that's when I take the sealed envelope, open it up, and this is what you're thinking. <laughs> and I've done it, and it freaks people out. And then I've explained what I've done. It's just that all through the week, I've kind of hinted at this and hinted at this, and you've put those pieces together. 
But it sticks in your head better if you come to that conclusion rather than me telling it to you. Yeah. You've puzzled all this out and it, you've, you're now emotionally invested. Even though all you've done is follow a little map that I've laid out for you. Different people respond to it in different ways, but it's kind of one of those mind-reading tricks that um, you do. And those magicians, that's all they're doing. They're feeding the right bit of information at the right point in time. All right. Uh, is there any like tips or tricks you have to be able to do this successfully? Like, how would you even? What would you? Where would you start? If I wanted With... to get an idea through to a play. <clears throat> Sorry. From. A simple game point of view, it starts with your dice roll. Every DM fudges a dice roll. <clears throat> if you're fudging it for the player's um, benefit, or if you're fudging it for your own benefit, you're probably not my kind of DM. But if you're fudging okay. it for the player's benefit, yeah, um, yeah, you spin in a story. Um, let's take the moral example. A player hit... Uh, I'll take an example from my game, actually. Uh, we have a golem, which is like an animated automaton, kind of like a machine with programming. So very in D and D world, it's very similar to uh, Warforged. Yeah. But this, these, they're, they're not sentient. Um, this one has gained sentience. And in one combat round, he sees loads of uh, loads of bunnies, and he goes in for a big cuddle, squishing them all. Now these happen to be jackalopes. They happen to be attacking all of our players with eldritch blasts. But he went bun buns and went in for the cuddle, and. As a player, um, his role was great. He critted on that. Oh, poor um, I, I didn't have to fudge, but that emotionally invested the character. And he, I mean, credit to the player. Eric has played this out beautifully, how he's played his character out. And his character is now emotionally scarred by that event. The next combat round, I kind of fudged the role a bit. And a similar thing happened. The player over o overkilled almost uh, an innocent child that had picked their pockets, um, crushed the child's arm, and the character just broke down in tears. Um, <clears throat> every major decision I've given them in the game has always been a morality play, testing whether they are genuinely lawful good or are they on the path to chaos. And it's getting them invested in the game. It's getting them invested in what their characters are doing. But it's also huge emotional payoff. And those moments of massive emotional investment keep them, keeps the momentum going, keeps them moving along that path that they think they're choosing for themselves. But it's just moving from set piece to set piece to set piece. And how you get there is the chaos. All right, let me, let me know if I, if I heard this correctly. But it definitely sounds like... <clears throat> for that player in particular, uh, the one way that you were doing it is you were already picking on a, um, a question or a, uh, maybe a concern, a middle ground they had in their mind where they were like, I'm this robot. Am I going to be able to, uh, like, hug and, like, love? Because I'm sure anyone that thinks about being in a mech suit, you're like, how am I going to do things delicately? And so having them crush the bunnies, that's like, that's confirming their worry. And then now they're going to have that worry throughout. And then you make it happen again. And you're kind of implanting it back in their head. You know, to be fair, if he'd rolled a 17 or an 18, there may not have been as big a squish as there was. Mm -hmm. But he critted. It was just a natural 20. And that 
as a glib moment, I just instantly saw a path for that character for the rest of the campaign. A character coming to terms with his own sentience, but also now he's got emotion and he's got free will. But it's kind of like John. It's kind of like Johnny Five in Short Circuit. Johnny Five is suddenly alive and he can't cope with everything that's going on, and that's the path that character is now playing. All right, and you didn't have? Did you have that idea before this kind of? Yeah. So taking like that just random awesome moment and using that because like. When your characters have a big emotional moment, like crushing those bunnies, I'm sure they were like, poor bunnies, this is terrible. Um, you can use that to really like kickstart the motivational, uh, the emotional exactly. motivation. <laughs> okay. Those characters were so invested at that point. The cleric even was talking to me about resurrection magic at that point. Even though they were jackalopes and they were attacking the party. They were that invested. Um, and taking that, running with it, keeping that kind of like keeping an in-joke going all the way through a game yeah. keeps the players invested in what you're doing and they don't realise that they're, maybe railroaded isn't the word, but they're being led along a storyline. It definitely sometimes feels like railroading, doesn't it? Because, <laughs> at least to me, I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm very good at like, giving hooks to my players and they always just want to go right where I want them. And usually like, at least in mostly the path, usually is when they get close to the objective, they like start the infinite web, but it, it almost sometimes feels like I'm railroading where I'm being like, this is too easy, but I don't think it is at the same time. I'll, I'll always give them two or three options. It's like, yeah. right. Okay. You've just emerged from the, from the, the, the catacombs under the cathedral these are you've got a couple of things to do report back to the city guard do you want to go and speak to the wizards do you want to go back to the temple and reaffirm your faith and most new players say, oh we, we can do things we can do anything we want right now yeah. and i know that eventually i want them to get to here but i'm going to let them play even if it takes a whole episode of just going shopping along the streets of cunning artifices and having fancy armor made up or clockwork chattering teeth that then explode at the end of the walk um let them do that fun stuff and then again mention right okay so you've still got three things to do guys it it can be done subtly it can be done obviously and yeah when sometimes when the game gets out of control and we've had too much to drink i've got to be a bit obvious about it but if you Keep those ideas, keep those just drip feeding those little moments, those little tie-ins to the greater story. They kind of do it themselves. And they end up putting themselves into these really weird combat encounters or really weird set pieces. It's it's the Pratchett's uh, Discworld, so it's all going to be really weird. Um, But yeah, um, the golem at one point picked up a chicken and hurled it at a a fleeing enemy and that turned into a special attack move the chicken bazooka chicken bazooka. <laughs> i like it so, so yeah. we now have the the rogue who has a bag of holding reaching in for a chicken during combat and handing it to the golem <clears throat> why not definitely kind of allowing <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense especially because if you allow your characters your players to make those hooks for themselves, they're gonna like hold on to them a lot more. Like because they just ran through this chicken, they're like, "Ha, this is gonna be a great idea." 
now they're being rewarded with a chicken launcher. They're so much more connected to that chicken bazooka. I'm sure that thing was like a fan favorite for the party. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the way that my game is written, because originally I didn't really expect it to go beyond about five or six episodes. That's about as far as my, my stepdaughter and her friend Scott. And I'm kind of writing it on the fly and just scribbling down bullet points. And I sat down with a friend and had a huge brainstorming session, and we've mapped out 30 episodes now. We've got a solid ending. We've got four major set pieces, which gives me my little landmark points that I have to hit as a DM. Mm -hmm. If it takes me three episodes or 10 episodes to get to that location, okay, maybe I'm not pushing them hard enough. But ultimately, I'm going to get to that location. And that's when the next big event is going to trigger. And there's going to be another big moral discussion amongst the party. And maybe one of the party goes bad. Um, it's happened before in games that I've played with that character has gone bad through his own actions. And then the party actually decides to take him out. That's worst case. Yeah, I've had a few players had to get taken out. <clears throat> no, that's uh, and uh, yeah. Would you say that you have any other tips for leading players? So definitely making it uh, emotionally driven um and letting them make their own little plot hooks or their own little the plot hooks. hooks yeah the plot hooks are always key for me um if you give them choice you give them yeah you you come out the temple what do you want to do and then you sit there as a dm and just wait for them to just stare at each other dumbfounded or you come out the temple and you've got well these are the four things that we were talking about last episode hint hint um okay. we, which do you want to do first? So right now, in the DM, just, right, right in the just, DM, kind of like just meta asking what to do. Sorry, cutting you off. Yeah, just, just saying, just that little bit, that's just that slight change in phrase. It's like, okay, what do you want to do? These are the four things that you've got. we've got tasks to get on with. Which ones do you want to do? Or these are the four things that we discussed. Which do you want to do first? Which is the most important here? Which drives the plot forward? Uh, well, don't say the last bit. They're obviously already thinking that. Yeah. Um, I find a little bit of recap at the beginning of every session helps that because it mm -hmm. keeps the players on, on track with the story. I try and do a little bit of an epilogue at the end. Um, in the case of my game, again, because it's just chaos in the disc world, we have the <laughs> gods that are playing games with the lives of mortals. Yeah. And the game is on a gaming board and the four gods are playing and it's the gods actually giving the epilogue, uh, sorry, the prologue to each episode. So the, the, the illusion of choice is always brilliant. How you phrase it really can hammer it home. Uh, and then just give them that little nugget, give them that little nugget as you go along. And eventually they will be thinking exactly what you want to do. And then you can pull that magic trick out at the end. I know I've got a, a fire elemental for them to take out at the end of the episode. But yeah. when they're shopping, it's like, yes, we've got a great deal on fire protective spells or ah, slightly used fireproof armor, you know, just resistance, little scuff here. Absolutely. Do you a deal, mate? Do you a deal? And they think they've got free choice. But yeah, I'm kind of moving them slowly through that little path to where I want them to be. I mean, yeah, if they buy something else, then, yeah, screw them. They're going to get hammered. Yeah. But it's not, there's always that one contrary player, isn't there? Always. Every time. 
But yeah, if you're playing a chaotic game like mine, and I love the chaos in my game, uh, there's so much that you can just do very subtly. Uh, the thing I've always disliked about D&D, and I'm, I'm going to offend some people here, I'm very sorry. Too many DMs just read from the book. Mm-hmm. They've got a pre-generated adventure, they're reading from the book, and they've not engaged their own imagination. Um, yeah. D&D, and this is why I love 5th edition so much to the previous versions that I played, D&D is now just a framework. What you do with that framework, how you apply that framework, anything you want, it's up to the DM. I have a Harry Potter-themed D&D planned. If you know the films and the books well enough, you can make a D&D game work in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, the voices can be a bit tricky. Um, <laughs> but doing a, 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 we were, I was talking to a friend on um, Twitch the other day about doing a Disney-themed D&D. Oh, the princesses, yeah. So kind of like, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the, the Square Enix did the game where you had the big paintbrush and you were running around as a Disney character with a paintbrush as your oh. weapon. Splatoon? No. Is this Splatoon? No. Um, but yeah, having you play Disney characters, you embody your character, and I'm sending you an adventure, but I'm using D&D 5th edition rules. Now, yeah, it's massive, massive chaos, and not every DM's going to cope with that. <laughs> um, some players, I'll mention the rule lawyers, of course, they love the structure. They like the fact that they know the adventure. They've probably read the book 10 times. They know exactly what's going to come next. Yeah. Um, I don't get on with those players. I don't see the fun in it. I have I embrace the chaos and I embrace the humor in any game. And I derail many games that I play for exactly that reason. Um, and it's challenging for the DMs because I can see on their faces like, Omar, shut up, just do it. And I'm playing my character for comedy, but eventually the whole table kind of gets around it if you do it right. Just don't be too heavy-handed. Just use those little breadcrumbs, and and for God's sakes, have fun. That's the whole point of D and D, wasn't it? Excellent. No, I like I like all these tips. Have you ever had any like? Have you ever had a a party or campaign, even back in the day, where you they just wouldn't get hooked? They they just they it would they were like a fish that just wouldn't bite. I had some players playing this campaign when I was kind of testing it out, and the the way they meet the, the this imprisoned dragon is they're kind of freeing some prisoners um, that have been captured by some bandits, and they have a strong psychic attraction to this door. Mm-hmm. The prisoners were being used to excavate this tunnel, and it's uncovered this door. Mm-hmm. And all the party, right? We've got to open the door. We've got to open the door. What's behind the door? One player. I'm not touching that damn door. I am not touching that door. And eventually I had to resort to, okay, yeah, you kind of screwed up my story here. We're going to have to go with psychic damage. (laughs) You feel compelled. You are being sucked towards this door, which was a portal, of course. But um, she instantly had this aversion to going anywhere near that door. The rest of the party were through it. They just could not get through that door. It's almost like a party of rogues. They could not get through that door fast enough. Um, because they all failed their wisdom throws. Yeah. He was the only one that succeeded. And I gave, I used that. Okay, Everybody in the party, give me some wisdom saves, because this dwarf is 
almost throbbing in your mind. You you cannot take your eyes off this door. Something is drawing you to it. And again, just giving them given that little bit of free choice, get, letting them roll that dice and. Okay, it's the dice. It's the dice that's pulling me to this door. The DM isn't making me do this. The dice made me do it. Uh, again, it's giving them just a little bit of a nudge in that direction that I want them to go. And if it comes to it, and if there is one player who isn't, make a dice roll. And kind of fudge that roll a touch. Mm-hmm. Anything for the sake of the story. I will fudge any rule. I will break any of the fifth edition if I have to, as long as the story comes across. Um, and I've always said my campaign is light on combat. If you're in combat, you've done so many things wrong up to this point. Um, <laughs> you can talk. You can talk your way out of it. You can bribe your way out. Of it. You can produce a sausage and throw it at the enemy and see if that distracts them for long enough for you to beg it. But if you're getting in combat, combat is usually the last resort. There's always a more cunning way to do things, and I reward that in my game for exactly that reason. I don't want murder hobos. Mm. And just that little dice roll is enough to turn them from, okay, right, let's start attacking everything, to, ooh, hang on, something else is happening here. And using a little bit of intrigue, using a little bit of illusion of free will, using a little bit of that chaos diagram to bring them back into the place that I want them. Eventually they were through that door. And that particular player, when she did go through the door and she met this dragon who was imprisoned inside a mountain, she was the first one to say, right, we've got to free him. We've got to free him. It's like, okay. They go through all the processes. Three episodes later, the dragon is freed. A couple of puzzles have been solved. And he blasts his way out of the mountain using his uh, breath attack and proceeds to lay waste to the world for imprisoning him for a thousand years in that mountain. He's pissed. Yeah. And that was the springboard for the entire campaign. It's like, well, are you guys done and screwed up? How are you going to fix this? <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. So, yeah, definitely having... so. When someone like does that contrarian uh, player style, um, how do you find yourself getting around to working with them? Because you, as you, we said, there are some players that like to just play the contrarian, where they 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 know how D and D works, they know the meta, and they I I would say they play it a little bit too much, where they know if you talk about something that that is something important. And they'll try to avoid that thing for the sole purpose because you said it or you said something that was a little bit off about it. Like the red with orange mark door. Not talked about it too long. Gave too much detail. I don't want to go near it. Fuck that door. Orange mark. Nope, shouldn't have said that. Sounds like. Oh, no, I've said too. I'm a DM. I've said too much. I shouldn't have said that. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with that door. Leave that door alone. Uh, I find it escalates and it depends on the player. Um, the easiest way is to, to make them roll. And whatever they roll, you just fudge the the, um, the threshold in your head. And nope, you failed that roll. Yeah. Unless they if it, the same roll, then yeah. If it's a really obstinate player, sometimes I'll pit the party against them. Because mm-hmm. the party have all failed their wisdom saves. They're all intent. And they're trying to convince that, that one player who passed their wisdom save. No, no, we've got to go through this. We've got to go through this. We can't split the party. We have to go. The orange markings are my favorite. You must go through. 
orange is the color of my species. We must investigate. Um, and, and it escalates. And if it gets to the point when I'm having to railroad a player in by doing psychic damage because they're not going towards the door, then I think I've gone too far as a deer. Um, in my case, it was such a strong story hook and nobody had ever not gone through the door, even without wisdom saves, that I just never planned for it. And yeah. kind of just make something up on the spot and hope they don't take it personally. Yeah, sometimes you just got to do that. Sometimes you got to improv. And sometimes when you look back at your improv, you're like, you yeah, stepped over the line. Yeah, move forward. Um, I like using the table dynamics, especially with my players, especially when a game is so heavily moral um, fixated. Every decision they make could have consequences. Um, my players don't know this yet, but in my world, using magic has a negative consequence. You can either draw the energy from yourself, so you are physically exhausted by casting spells. Yeah. But let's say you cast a healing spell. Well, when you leave that cave, there's a dozen dead birds lying around on the ground. Mm -hmm. Energy had to come from somewhere. Yeah. And when the the play, my players will pick up on this quite soon, actually, because I've been hinting at this very delicately all the way through the game. But eventually that's going to be, hang on, we can't do this anymore. We can't just randomly chuck fireballs around. This, yeah, we're hurting people. And it, again, it's it's the table dynamics, it's their own personal morality, and the morality choices that I put in the game. And maybe I made that consequence up on the spot. I mean, who knows? I yeah. probably didn't write it down. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many ways to raise the stakes, and there's so many ways to keep them on track. And yeah, table dynamics is a, an odd one. It can go disastrously wrong, depending on the type of DM you are depending on the type of group you are. But if you've got a really tight group that, especially when you, you are playing all as a group of friends, like, like my game is on Twitch, it's easy to say, um, right, well, you are compelled to do this from your own moral point of view. Your character is lawful good. Your character's bonds demand that you do this in the name of your god. Exactly. Um, and that just makes that easy. But getting the other players on side, well, now it's up to my player to talk the party into doing this, not me. And I'm not the one doing the railroading anymore. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever had? Have you ever had or to talk with somebody about um, uh, them being contrarian or tr purposely not following, being a murder hobo? Maybe not following the hooks that you're laying. I'm lucky enough that that hasn't cropped up in the games that I've been running because the world is lawful good. I don't allow neutral or chaotic characters into the game at the start, mm -hmm. but I'd like to see how they develop. Um, I've been in games where I've pulled, not as the DM as a player, but I've pulled all the players out of the game and said, look, really? Honestly? You did this? Was that honestly? You didn't discuss it with the rest of the group. Can we next time? Can we, you know, talk about this first? Um, but then, to be fair, as a player, I've done some really epic stuff that was entirely stupid, and probably warranted discussion in the game. So yeah, there's there's always that one guy. I've been lucky that I've not had that one guy yet. Um, I've had character players that have gone completely off on tangents. Yeah. <laughs> One player given free will decided he wanted to be a drug dealer in game. Yeah. 
what during his downtime and he paid a druid to grow some some weeds of some sort for him and it was getting a little bit off topic but he was loving it so much and it was he was playing it through his character he was doing some really good character play it just had nothing to do with the game yeah so i had a rival drug gang come in and just sweep sweep them away captured his captured his druid destroyed all of his stock and he was now penniless it's like right how do i rebuild my empire i need gold let's go raid a tomb and we're back yeah. on track yeah I love that. Oh man, um, there's a lot of definitely cool ways to hook in players, and there's a lot of like kind of psychology involved. Have you ever ever looked into the psychology? Um, because you said that you have a background. I don't know if you meant, but when you said psych a lot, I think it was psychology. Uh, my background is cognitive psychology, um, be, because I teach. It's it's learning how people learn. Mm-hmm. Um, some people learn by doing, some people learn by reading their notes, some people learn by just making copious notes, some just have to sit there and soak it all up and maybe something will stick. Yeah. Um, and that's something just from being in a training room, being in a classroom environment so much. I'll know within 15 minutes who's going to be the ones that need my attention the most, who are the ones that are just flying through. This guy's probably done the training before, but he doesn't want to say so. This one's afraid of speaking up because their boss is sitting next to them. And, you know, I'll just lean over, give them a little whisper, do a little mouse click here, mouse click there, gets them up to speed, and they don't even have to be embarrassed about it. Um, the same happens in, D- in D&D, especially when I've got new players. Yeah. I've got a mixed group. Two guys know their characters' profiles inside and out. Every single spell is memorized, and I've got a new character playing D&D for the first time that doesn't even know how to add up the dice yet. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you you don't want to baby the, that new player too much, but then at the same time, you don't want to slow down the game for the experienced guys. So I was, I'll, I'll do like I do in the train, right? Okay, you guys, I know you know what you're doing. Plan your next two rounds while we do this one. So you're rolling this. Okay, this is this on your character sheet. Add that. What's your total? Excellent. What do you want to do with it? Um, what was the question? <laughs> Is there anything from your your uh, cognitive psychology <laughs> that you liked and you would you've used in your game of D anD D? It sounds like it it has at least. Yeah, the the NLP stuff is is key. Using key phrases at certain points in times can change an entire statement. Using certain, don't want to give away all the tricks here, but. Um, if if I'm at a table, it's harder to do online, but if I'm at a table, I might be doodling on a little notepad and I'm drawing a symbol on the notepad within view of the players. Mm-hmm. They don't know what that symbol means yet, yeah. but I'm just doodling while I'm just rolling some dice and I'm doodling, doodling. Every DM says it does the just randomly start rolling dice for no reason, just to freak out your players. Yeah. Um, so little things like that, they're, it's behavior that I'm exhibiting and I know they're going to, one of them is going to at least pick up on that. And then the whispers start around the table. I know I've got, or maybe hang on, I've recognized that symbol. And then I'll have that little whisper and it's like, yeah, um, I was drawing it on his pad about an hour ago, but yeah, we can't say that because that's metagaming. And I will use metagaming to my advantage. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So you kind of, uh foreshadowing in their head out of game uh information which they can't use in game but will kind of hook their brains automatically 
and again it's steering their choices and when it's when it's kind of like gentle metagaming they're consci- then unconsciously steering their character to make a decision based on something that i might have accidentally said um or accidentally drawn on a pad and left on the table while i've gone for a coffee yeah um it, it there's lots of subtle little ways um it's and it's so subtle because if they realize you're doing it it hasn't worked the illusion is broken they know what you're doing you might as well just hand one of the players a note yeah and not to say that that doesn't happen as well sometimes yeah this show has definitely thrown back a curtain for a lot of my players where they're like oh you're you're just telling us a really good story i'm like yes guys that's all i'm doing um but uh, I find it's a lot of the tricks still surprisingly work. They they they'll sometimes like think that I'm doing a trick, and when they think I'm doing a trick, I'll make it so it's not a trick that time. So they learn not to question me about whether it's a trick or not. <laughs> because if they question it's a trick, it's definitely a trick. If they don't question it's if a they, trick, it might not be yeah. a trick. If they think every hidden dice roll is an actual game critical dice roll, they're gonna hang on your every word. Mm-hmm. Um, listening to some of the as uh, I was listening to some in the previous episodes, speaking slowly, un- enunciating very carefully, it makes them listen. And then while you pause, there's just the clatter of dice, and you don't break eye contact with them. Just the clink, 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 clink. Shit, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's not even looking at the dice. What's going on? <laughs> like yeah, you kind of miss. Kind of messing with your players a bit at that point, and it's a little bit of theatre, and you've got to be confident not only in who you're playing with and the world that you're working in, but you've got to be confident that you can hold somebody's attention like that. Yeah. And sometimes it's that, right, guys, let's get back to it. Or sometimes it's the long, slow pause, and I just stare down one of the players until he starts getting really uncomfortable, and then everybody shuts up. And then I roll the dice. Oh. Something I'll sometimes do is I'll just say a character's name. Phileas, um, can I... You know what? Uh, never mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I've done that by accident so many times. <laughs> I started with doing it by accident, but then I seen the reaction I got, and I was like... <laughs> yes. Right. Um, I've, I've, one thing I like to do on, on Twitch is that I'll lean to the camera and just start twiddling the moustache a little what are we thinking players what are we thinking because it just looks so unbelievably sinister I must say I am jealous of your statue a beautiful moustache this is a very long and tumultuous relationship this moustache that's excellent um, is there anything, uh, so you said, are there any of the secrets that you can give away from, uh, your cognitive psychology learning, PCL? Uh, NLP. Um. Other one. You need to know your players. Yeah. You, um, when I'm playing with a group of players, I'll, I'll roll up a character for them. But that's because I already know what that person the kind of player that person's going to be just from chatting with them, maybe on Discord, maybe in real life. And I'll give them a pre-gen character because I know 
that's a character they're going to be comfortable with. For example, Sam in my game, I knew instantly she was going to be a rogue. She was going to go for the sneaky sneak. Um, she was going to be a rogue. I had her pegged her as a rogue from the very beginning. <laughs> and the more we discussed what her character was going to be, the more that solidified it in her mind as well. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, some people don't respond to that. Uh, some people don't like being given a character. They want to gen something for themselves. But if they're a new player, it's very rare that'll be the case. Yeah. If you've got experienced players and you're coming in at level six, you could get anything. Um, and then as a DM, that's down to just, look, these, these are the rules of the world. It's a comedy world. It's mostly lawful. If you're going to be doing this, you're going to be doing this. No non-human races because that's just not in Pratchett's books. And yeah. I'm trying to stick to the the the, the feel of the books. Um, but knowing your players um, is, well, walking in and meeting somebody for the first time and just knowing who they are and what they're about within seconds is not already a skill you can teach. It's just something you pick up um, in the training room. Some people are gifted with that ability, um, especially if you come from certain backgrounds. Maybe you're used to seeing certain emotional tics or facial expressions and you know how to react to them. Mm. Um, but knowing your players and knowing how your players will react is always key to my game but also it's kind of key to making the game function and to keep the game cohesive uh, I won't give my players a task or a puzzle that I know is too hard for them mm. that's going to bog the game right down even if I've got to dumb it down and make this one easy I just know that the next one's going to be that little bit harder yeah um, same with my boss battles. Okay, they wipe this one out in four attack rounds. Oops. Uh, I'll play it down and I'll make the next one extra hard and save that plot point for that next character rather than this one. Maybe this was just the sapper to kind of warm you up and weaken you a little. And then there's the big boss. They don't know what I've got written down. They yeah. don't know what I've got planned. Um, that mystery that you have hiding behind your... Um, your, your, your um, um shield there um at the dm screen that can compensate for a lot of inaccuracies in your own work or preparation it can be used so to your advantage if you kind of like, like you say just just roll that dice every so often just roll the dice and see their reaction for no reason at all just keep them on their toes um but knowing your players knowing how they will react and it, this really only works if you're playing with friends mm -hmm. but knowing the kind of choices they will make and even if it's a, a random group that you're playing with after a while you'll get a feel for the people in the room you know that this guy's going to be the one going in swinging so let's knock him down first yeah see what the party does and see how the other parties cope and let's see if the healer runs in first and tries to heal right now i know what that character's personal motivation is going to be but yeah. this guy is always the one sneaking away and trying to outflank the enemy, or this is the one that runs at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. Okay, well, certainly he's not going to be getting as much experience points at the end of this round, is he? Um, I like that. So, yeah, um, it comes down to knowing people. I don't consider myself to be a people person. I work in a customer-facing environment. I have to be quite flamboyant for my work, hence the, yeah. 
um this does all this this is my like charisma critic crit right there um <laughs> but people see the mustache and it's like everybody warms up when they see the tash and as soon as i twiddle it it's like yeah i've got the room right now how can i exploit that yeah i like that definitely using that um I always get this. I always get, at least once an episode. I completely forget the sentence I was going to say. Um, but I like that. I like um how you kind of come around to hooking your players with a lot of different angles to come from. Uh, but one thing that you said much earlier that I kind of wanted to come into was that you said that like, uh, if you're having comment more than like every three you said episodes which i'm guessing are sessions like three four hour sessions yeah um that you're doing something uh wrong or you're uh coming into battle and i'm not far from that that's pretty well what my sessions have become they're far more story-based and they don't go into a lot of combat but uh, i'm sure there's a lot of people in D that would think differently than us on that retrospect or that aspect uh, why do you have it like that? Why not more combat? I've heard DMs say uh, there should be at least one combat a session. Yeah. Um, I've played in games kind of earlier back when I first started getting into 5th edition. I've played in games where it's been Pathfinder players or advanced players. Mm-hmm. And all they want to do is uh, a meat grinder. Yeah. And I've been in those games and there's only so much fun you can get out of it. Because at the end, the dice are either with you or against you. And everybody's, everybody, frankly, is just there for themselves. Mm-hmm. They want their character to shine. They just want to kill as many things as they can. And yeah, that can be fun, but it's not engaging unless you're that particular type of player. And those are games that are run for those types of players by those types of DMs. And if you're that kind of player, brilliant. You know exactly the kind of game you want to be going into. Yep. You want a meat grinder like some like Tomb of Horrors or Tomb of Annihilation. Raw meat grinder, just go in there and just roll dice in anger constantly. Um, it doesn't engage me. I find I get a bit bored. Um, I've played in a couple of league games at some of the comic book shops locally to me, and I'm kind of sitting around thinking, well, why are we here? Was there a, a point to all of this, or did we just suddenly wake up in a tomb and we're just trying to find our way out? Yeah. Weak sauce. I've always been, yeah, I mean, my game started with my stepdaughter about the morality, the consequences of choice, and I've just kept rolling with that. Yeah. Uh, it didn't actually start in the Discworld. It didn't start as a comedy game. It actually, the first two times I ran this was an actual very serious game. And it's only when they left the, the kind of uh, dragon space and I started introducing other characters that i started putting on the silly voices and had a bit of fun with it and one thing turned into another and my love of pratchett just came out um this game must be set in ankh it cannot be set anywhere else and rolled with it and i think this is now the fifth time i'm running this campaign and it's the one that's gone the longest um other players have fizzled out because they've moved away or they've done other things or we just couldn't meet regularly yeah. Twitch has been, frankly, a lifesaver for so many of us over the last year and a half. Good. And, yeah, we're all nerds here. We don't have to out-nerd each other. Let's just have a bit of fun. Have some fun with their nerddom. Um, most of what I do in training, I think, is also storytelling. Um, 
I'm teaching you how to use a bit of software. I'm teaching you the steps that you have to go through to produce a document or a spreadsheet or a commercial real estate valuation or an insurance appraisal. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's still a story. You yeah. start, you know nothing. You're being introduced to something. You're building some basic concepts. You're putting the pieces together yourself. So you think you're actually, hang on, I haven't learned anything here. I already knew how to do this. Nailed it. And that's when I know I've nailed it. It's, yeah, you, you've come to those conclusions yourself, but I've drip fed you all the way through. Um, and you get to the point, you now you can now go away and do this task per, absolutely on your own. Mm -hmm. um, I did this, I actually did this earlier this afternoon with my grandmother. My grandmother's nearly oh. 90. I'm trying to teach her how to use a smartphone. Oh. It's painful. Yeah, but I'm just giving her little prompts. I'm letting her explore, and she's figuring it out for herself, and it sticks better than if I just write down the steps and hand her a bit of paper. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're really enjoying the campaign, and uh, that's good. It, definitely how you talk about it. It sounds like you guys are having fun. It's become so much more than I expected. Um, we were talking to a couple of Twitch friends, um, just kind of toying around with the idea of, okay, yeah, look, look I, I do a D&D. &D. Anybody else want to try D&D? &D? I mean, I've been wanting to run this game for a while. A couple of people said yes. We put something together. And then they got so involved in this story. And Sam, for example, um, she, she wants to cosplay her character. She's a cosplayer. She cannot wait to cosplay her character. Yeah, and I did, I did a thing. I think it was an overly generous thing. Um, uh, my father's a goldsmith. Um, I learned how to, I learned a lot of his trade. Awesome. And in, in my game, she picks, she finds a little necklace with a feather on it. She has no idea what the necklace did. She immediately put it on. Is that that could have been cursed? I don't care. It's pretty. She she's a rogue. She's a bit of a magpie. I knew she would pick it up straight away and put it on. So I made her that necklace out of silver and gold. Sent that to her. Instant time. She's now so invested in that character. She won't take the necklace off. But she doesn't yet know what it does in game. Oh yeah. Now yeah, I'm picking on one particular player there, and she's. I'm not going to say she's the star of the show. All the players are the stars in this game, but the game got started because of her, and it was her Discord community that I was running the game in, and she was the first person to dive in and say, yes, we've got to do this. She was that enthusiastic. She's never even seen Polydice before. She didn't know any of the mechanics, and we kind of put her in at the deep end. Yep. Um, she dived into a pool of acid. Duh. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it kind of there. Um, again, that that investment by her is, frankly, her enthusiasm is just driving this game. It is the few episodes that we've had without her because of other commitments have been a little bit more focused, a little bit more on track, not so much randomness going on. But it's her enthusiasm that's drive the game, and I'm trying to use that to drive the other players. Yeah. There, that's one thing I definitely have in a few of my games where there are certain players, player players in games where they really drive. They're the driving force of the campaign. And you 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 see yourself giving those players slightly more moments than the rest. And you, you feel bad because you're, you're always... I'm very focused, at least, since uh, everyone's paying, is that I want everyone to feel as equal in the game as possible. But there are definitely those players that, like push the party and um 
they you do tend to get some extra things for being that driving force. Yeah, and if you can use them to push forward your narrative, because you already know how that player is going to be thinking, and you be subtle about it. Um, I've I've had the I've had the chat with some of the other players. It's like look, I know we've been focusing on Sam a lot here. I'm going to move on because there's a another set piece that's going to really going to fit one of your characters. Yeah, they don't know that I've written that on the fly because I feel the game's a bit one sided. They don't have to know that. Um, so we're now going to focus on your character, and then we're going to focus on this character a little bit more. And I want to keep the dynamic moving around the table. Um, but again, it just depends on the people that you're playing with. And if you've got a really good bunch there that are really keen, are invested emotionally and intellectually in the world that you've built and the characters that you've set up for them, the game kind of plays itself. All I'm there is just punctuating it with a little bit of story here, a dice roll there. It just feels too easy sometimes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It really does feel too easy. Um, actually, I was gonna. That was even a follow up question. Was how do you get these secondary characters? Because sometimes they're not pushing the narrative solely for the fact that they're enjoying the narrative. They're just like, you know what, this is this is going exactly how I would do it. So I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy. I'm not gonna push anything. How do you how do you get one of those players, one of those sit back and enjoy the campaign type players to begin pushing in a direction? I've had to do this a couple of times in different games that that I've run. Uh, same story, different groups. And what I'll do is I'll introduce an event that's maybe key to that character's backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll always ask the character to think up, like, how did you get where you are? And at some point in the game, something will drop that will be so critical to that character's early development. Maybe he lost his brother in the wars. Maybe he had a, a horrifying incident as a child. And use that just completely out of the blue yeah uh, most of the time the characters just instantly perk up oh hang on wait a minute this is what my character's all about let me roll with this and they're excited as a player to have that little spotlight for a while and they can then get involved in that little story but at the same time i'm using that story to drive another event that's going to happen mm-hmm. which actually brings the rest of the party in yeah um it's gone wrong a couple of times when a player almost descended into evil because of a traumatic experience he had as a child, and I went a little bit too heavy-handed. Yep. And it's like, okay, yep, sorry, we went a bit far there. Let's rein it back in because this is getting a bit heavy-duty now. Um, and that's fine. As long as the players are playing the game, they will engage with it. If they're just kind of sitting back, you know, I'm, I'm here, but I don't really want to be here, and... You know, I, I could be doing the laundry or I've got the grass to cut. And said, so, dude, if you want to do you, that's fine. If you need to duck out for an episode and chill for a bit and step away from the table, just do that. Um, you're going to lose out on a bit of XP. You might lose out on some, some interesting encounters. But, yeah, if you want to come back to the game after after an episode off, do it. Stuff happens. Yeah. And I try and be as chill about that as I can. Because if you start getting too heavy-handed with that, the kind of game, it kind of ruins the feel of the game. Yeah, yeah. as a DM, just roll with it. Be as chill as possible. And if that player really is invested, he'll find his way back. Mm -hmm. Um, What I have learned from other DMs is you do not write an entire campaign around one character. 
no matter how cute that player is and how much you really want her in your game, you do not write an entire campaign around one character. Because if that character drops out for whatever reason, maybe work commitments change or they meet a new significant other and all of a sudden their time is taken up watching soap operas and puppies, your game just stalls. And I've actually seen it happen. Um, so you've you've got to be chill with it. You've got to be as inclusive as you can with it. You try not to be too edgy with it. I played with some edgy DMs that just go too far. Just no, okay, not my kind of game, guys. See you later. Um, and roll with it. D and D is what ninety nine percent improv from a DM's point of view. Yeah, I've got a page of bullet notes, but that, bullet points. But that's all I've got. Yeah. I've got bullet yeah. points. I've got dice that don't let me down, and I've got an evil mind. All I need, baby. <laughs> Love that. Oh, man. There's just so many good ways to tell a cool story with uh, all these characters. And you said it really well right there. If one character falls out, the campaign should still be able to go on. Maybe with a hit, maybe with a hitch, but still go on. Of course, there yeah. might be a hitch if you lose one out of four or one out of six of your players. Um, but you can easily tell if your campaign, if you're worried about your campaign being uh, invested in one or two players too much, just kill them off in your brain, not in the game. And yeah, everyone was like real worried for a second there. I did that as a player in another game once. A bit of a homebrew game, a custom magic system where you had kind of like key points with a monk. You had a certain number of points that you could add to your spells to power them up. Yeah. Um, so if your spell did 1d6 and used one point, it's now 2d6 and so on. Yeah. And I found that the the one player in the table who wasn't really engaging was playing the healer. All the fighters were just going at it. And there was one player that wasn't engaging. And I was playing a pretty chaotic character in that game. Good, but chaotic. <laughs> um, and I went in, there was a basically a, a tower. There was a drow priestess and five other drow warriors in there. And I said, uh, this was a bit of a crazy character I was playing. It's like, right, leave it to me, lads. I've got this one. Went into that tower, burned all of my points on a single spell. And it cast an 18d6 fireball. Now, me being a dumbass, or maybe I did this on purpose, didn't measure the book, the game board quite right. And I was in the blast. So I vaporized the priestess and two of the drow. Two of the other drow were knocked down to single digit hit points. Mm-hmm. I was three hit points away from an insta-kill on my own character. Slagged the entire tower, which melted like glass through the rest of the castle, taking out the floors below. So that gave us an easy way down. And frankly, my character was almost out for the count. At that point, um, the healer was straight over. All of a sudden, the healer had a mission is to make sure my character, because I've just saved the entire party. It's like, no, I just messed that one up, sorry. They don't know whether I did it on purpose. They don't know if that was just an accident that happened in the game. Mm -hmm. But I had a chat with the DM about this. And I was playing with a pretty observant DM. He said, yeah, you did that on purpose, didn't you? It's like, yeah. 
he was feeling a bit left out and he was he'd been really quiet during the day and i think he's made whatever personal stuff he'd brought in with him and i just wanted the focus to be on him for a bit so yeah. i almost suicided my character to do it but it was fun it was fun i'm sure if you had a double damage the some yeah again with dms you can always make something work if it needs to be worked and if it's going to be good for the story i always argue you should try and make it work yeah, even if you've got to use that gif of Dumbledore doing that massive firestorm to get your point across. <laughs> oh my god. Well, sadly, Omar, I wish we could talk all night, but it is 7 o'clock now. Um, if there's anything that the viewers that are watching here today should go and check out or uh, look into for you, uh, where should they go? Uh, well, on Twitch, I'm at um, twitch.tv omark underscore UK, because, you know, UK-based. Uh, my game is very, very heavily sarcastic. It's set in Terry Pratchett's Discworld. If you do not know of Pratchett and the Discworld, where have you been since 1985? The first book is very old. There's so much variation in there, and it is comedy, it's sarcasm, and it's chaos. Um, that's part of what I do on my channel. The rest of what I do on my channel is makes. I'm a bit of a maker, I'm a bit of a tinkerer. Um, I'm going to be actually making a lot of jewellery on stream, so I've kind of got a bit of a schizophrenic stream going on, um, just in between work. I like it, the Jekyll and Hyde, the, the Jekyll of just creating the fine jewellery and the Hyde of the crazy D&D. Well, if you, can, if you can link the two together and make it extra special for at least that one player for that one session, I've, I've done something right. Definitely. Um for those of you future armor fans out there, and this probably ties much back to my work as it is as a DM, there's that legendary quote of the that Bender heard from God. When you do things right, people won't be sure you did anything at all. I've lived my entire career on those words, and I pinned my entire D&D game on those words. And those words are how we will end off today's session. Guys, I've been Zach the DM. You can check me over at twitch.tv slash Zach the DM. This has been Nerdy Northerners. I will be back Wednesday morning for a community morning, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. And we'll be back here for Dungeon Master Discussions next Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. But until next time, guys, have a great night and take care. <laughs>